0: We're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. Hope you are all doing well out there this week. We have an incredible episode ahead of us today. We're going to be listening to two of the greatest minds in personal development, Earl Nightingale on Napoleon Hill, and we have a guest with us yet again today to listen to these recordings, the wonderful Bryn Anderson of Vinyl Force Herbs.
1: Hi hey everybody. Hi, Jake.
0: Hey, Bryn. We're so glad you're here with us today. I really enjoy it when you join me as we listen to these discussions because it adds a lot. It's You're like a co-host, a co- cohort. Uh, A co-conspirator, like-minded, similar-frequency individual. So I'm really glad that you're here with us to listen to these, to give us your time. You're so generous with your time. And it's going to be an amazing thing. We're going to be listening to two of the greatest personal development speakers ever. One of the actual godfathers of personal development and then his kind of protege indirectly, mentored through books, you could say, but then eventually they met each other. But also early, early on in the personal development field, they're incredible humans. We need to hear these lectures in order to help understand more about the world around us and how to be better people and how to grow and how to expand. But first, before we go into those lectures, before I go into the bio of those two wonderful men, I have to ask you to do a few things for me. First, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the Instagram address. If you go there, you hit the follow button, you'll join our family this this community the midnight on earth fan base that's growing it's a worldwide 26 countries I'm proud to say worldwide phenomena and you can be a part of it by clicking the follow button on Instagram Spotify you can follow us on Spotify and like us there as well Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts wherever you Find your podcast. There's so many different platforms now. I heard of a new one called Chaser, Stitcher. I mean, iHeartRadio. There's so many different platforms. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, find me there. Hit the button that connects us so you always know when I'm doing something. It'll come to you through the ether, through the internet, through whatever device or interface or neural link, depending on when you're listening to this. However you get that information, that's how you do it. And the very last thing I have to ask you as my friends, as my fan base, tell a friend, tell a friend that, you know, that likes these type of podcasts. They're so interesting. They're so entertaining. They're really special and we're growing. We're getting better. Every episode gets better and better. Tell a friend about this podcast tell your coworker, tell a relative, send an email, text, whatever you feel like is pertinent to your situation. Whatever's like least impact but most effective. Do that for me midnightonearth.com. All right. So now all that's out of the way, you know, I have to do that stuff as we grow the podcast, you know, episode 2500 it may not be that way. We might be just huge. It's just like a steamroll, snowball going downhill, growing, growing, growing faster, having its own momentum, having its own attraction. It's so, Bryn, how are you doing today? I just want to check in with you. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great,
1: doing well. I'm excited to hear some Earl Nightingale and uh, Napoleon
0: Hill. Yes, That'll it's going to be incredible talks that these two gentlemen give. And the reason I'm doing this is because we why just... Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> it's my service. But why we're doing this specific episode is because the last episode, we had the incredible Boom shika of the Millionaire Hippie Podcast. And we talked about abundance and prosperity consciousness. And there's people that had never really tapped into that level of understanding yet. And I really want all of us as conscious individuals, if you haven't got the message about abundance yet, to get that message, understand it, incorporate it into your perspective and how you view the world. It's the most real and honest perspective that I've found just based on my own common sense and logic, if you think about it. I'm going to tell you why in just a second. So these two men, are the people that are going to lay the foundation for the understanding of abundance and prosperity consciousness and also the scarcity mindset, which is kind of the polarity of that. I'm going to read their bios, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what abundance means from a spiritual and metaphysical perspective. Okay, here we go. Earl Nightingale was an American radio speaker and author dealing mostly with the subjects of human character development, motivation, and meaningful existence. He was the voice during the early 1950s of Sky King, the hero of a radio adventure series, and was a WGN radio program host from 1950 to 1956. Nightingale recorded The Strangest Secret, which was the first record related to personal development ever recorded ever to put on vinyl and it sold over a million copies that was then turned into a book. And the people that found the book, one of the people that found it was named uh Terry Savage. He was an economist and he thought it was one of the greatest motivational books of all time. He is really the earliest iteration of the mid 21st century personal development speakers. There was a, kind of a earlier set of teachers, authors, that were around the turn of the 19th into the 20th century. He was then the next generation after that. So we'll talk a little bit more about Earl Nightingale in just a second. Okay, so here's Napoleon Hill's bio. Napoleon Hill was an American author who is widely credited to have influenced more people into success than anyone in history. He was born on October 26, 1883 in Wise Country, Virginia. Considered to be the father of the personal success genre of literature, his work revolved around the role of personal belief in the success of an individual. He's also widely recognized for Think and Grow Rich, which is regarded as one of the best-selling books of all time. Perhaps you've heard of it. This book has helped millions of people in achieving their goals and has been an important part of many success stories. I've read Think and Grow Rich. I highly recommend reading that book. It's an incredible book. It was written in, I believe, 1947 or somewhere around that time. It was actually the condensed version of a far bigger book called The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. Both incredible people, like I said, in the personal development field, foundational people. And if you listen to what they say, it's going to really help you understand abundance and prosperity consciousness. And when you listen to these wonderful speakers, you have to understand they're from a different time. A lot of the times when they're describing humanity, they'll use gender specific terms like man. It's outdated. That's not what I use. I use humans. You know, I would say the human race or humanity. But he was raised in the 20s and 30s, and it was just a different time, different vernacular, different approach to speech. So you'll hear those dated terms, but just move past that and listen to what he's saying because what he's saying is timeless. And how he coalesces the information together is absolutely astounding. He has a unique way of processing it and putting it in a way that's not simple, but very accessible and palatable, easy to understand. And he'll guide you to a more successful life coming from a spiritual perspective. And he'll help you understand why success isn't a bad thing if you're a conscious individual. And the same thing with Napoleon Hill's talk. He'll talk about sales and various things related to the sales field, but he's also talking about using certain energies and methods of manifestation in in order to achieve those goals. Those same formulas, those same principles can be applied to different goals, which he also says and mentions. He just has a very open-minded, non-judgmental, view of processing this methodology so for just a second me and Brent are going to tell you about what we think abundance is and what abundance consciousness is so um i guess i'm going to go first <laughs> go ahead jake you go first <laughs> look abundance is like this it's very simple it seems complicated at first but then when you hear it you realize it's very foundational It's the very beginning of spiritual understanding. But yet it took me personally a long time to get to that information. Even though it was right in front of me the whole time, I never looked at it that specific way in order to process the information that way. So when I finally did, it flipped a switch and it changed my frequency. It changed how I perceived reality. And I've talked about it on previous podcasts, and perhaps you already understand it yourself, and it came to you earlier than it came to me. But one of the core foundational understandings about abundance consciousness is that everything is made out of God, everything's made out of the divine. It's this one original substance, and it's intelligent. It seems pretty basic. Seems pretty like 101, like, oh, of course, everything's made out of the divine. It's all made out of God. Matter, energy, everything that we haven't discovered yet that's before all that, consciousness, everything, the entire thing, all of it, it all is made out of this one thing. And that thing is infinite, okay? And it seems like, oh, wow, okay, you get that. And you realize, wait, we don't really think about things that way in Western culture. In Eastern culture, Indians from India, they have this as, again, a foundational part of their culture, a part of their understanding. So then once you realize that everything's made out of God, that means everything's infinite. That means You can never run out of anything. And most people are programmed to have a fear of running out of various things, whether it's food or money or shelter or gas or oil or wood or whatever they perceive as finite, a fear comes into play that says that, You may run out of those things, and yet all of it's made out of God, and it was created to respond to a need that was already there. So anytime there's this need, whether it's personal or collective, nature, through natural laws, fills that need with some form, but the need gets filled. And that's the interesting thing. So it helps you shift out of scarcity mindset when you realize that everything's infinite. And then you realize that you have this dialogue, this energetic psychic dialogue with the divine when you're asking for something, whether it's a goal or something worthwhile, something you're putting your love and your heart into, you have this connection. And you can manifest those things and you never have to worry about how it's going to happen because you set up a certain frequency and you attract whatever's on that frequency into your life. So let's say you want to start a bookstore and you focus on just how you're going to do that. And don't even think about how you're not going to do it. And then all of a sudden, you get offered a place to have a store, seemingly out of nowhere. You get rare books given to you. Other situations come into play somehow that all kind of fall in the frequency of being a bookstore owner, a successful bookstore owner. So then you start attracting these things. You understand that there's not a shortage of anything because it's impossible to have a shortage of anything because it's all made out of the divine, the divine's infinite. So then you really take a hold of your thinking and your understanding and realize that you can really push on that a little bit through your subconscious, which is kind of like your interface point with the divine. So you push on it with your subconscious and you can really ask For anything that you want, big goals, anything that you've ever really wanted to do that your love is behind, your heart is behind, that your service is behind. You can really ask for anything. And that's really, that's a very basic kind of breakdown of what abundance consciousness is and then what kind of understanding comes from that and how it can benefit your life. Bryn, what did you think about that?
1: That was really great. <laughs> that was a good breakdown there. Um, wow. All right. Let's see what what is there left to say about that. Yeah. Can you add anything to that? Or? Well, I uh, you know, funny. I got a tea bag yesterday. You know, there's little messages written on the back of the tea bag. Sometimes, depending on what
0: do they say, help me or. Uh, <laughs>
1: Not usually, usually it's something inspiring. I don't know what brand of tea you're getting, but um, the one I got yesterday said uh, prosperity is inside of us, which was timely for you asking me to come and be on this show. So, so give me a little time to think about that. And just that thought of that, that everything comes from the divine and, and we come from the divine and prosperity is inside of us. It's part of us. There is. No such thing as lack, that that's a human construct. I think that that, like you were saying, perhaps, you know, some of it's programming. Some of it, I think, is our our more animal brain or ego that is, you know, that competition for food or water or whatnot. That there's always an abundance of everything and anything we need. And if, you know, nature abhors a vacuum and there's that, when you think of the bookstore that you want to open, suddenly you've created a vacuum just by that thought and that desire and it's pretty much a you know it's not pretty much it is a law of nature for that vacuum to then be filled with the frequency of you know attracting what it is that 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 thought had which was the bookstore Um, so it's really cool to just think about how it works just puzzle it out it's pretty awesome
0: does it seem pretty basic and yet like you didn't know it right away the concept that everything's made out of God.
1: Yeah, it's very basic, but yet it's also a rabbit hole you could go down forever to really think about it. Because I don't think that's something, I mean, you you mentioned other cultures have that in their sort of foundation. And I don't think that our Western society does so much where we're thinking about that. That everything you're holding in your hand, where you're sitting on, everything came from someone's idea, from someone's inspiration, from God to... Make that chair you're sitting in or whatnot.
0: This is what we're doing right now. We're giving people a little bit of foundation. This is very foundational knowledge in the realm of abundance consciousness. These recordings, The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale, and a brief excerpt, brief because the original recording is like 60 hours long. I was
1: going to say, Napoleon Hill is not really brief. (laughs) (laughs) A brief hour
0: (laughs) recording by hour or so recording by Napoleon Hill related to the law of attraction and also other kind of success strategies. And that's what we're doing. We, we're giving you the foundation of some of the knowledge that you may not necessarily have received in other forms. And listen to this. You can listen to this dozens of times. Keep coming back and listening to this. You're going to get something different out of it every single time.
1: I was going to say, even if it isn't new to you, it's still...
0: Those affirmations. So we're going to be here listening to this with you and we're taking notes. We're going to be doing things that we love to do when we do these lecture episodes and then we're going to come back after Earl's talk and then we're going to do the Napoleon Hill talk and we're going to talk even more after that. So buckle up. We're going to have an incredible time. This is the first ever personal development recording that was issued on vinyl. This is called the strangest secret. By Earl Nightingale.
2: I'd like to tell you about the strangest secret in the world. Some years ago, the late Nobel Prize winning Dr. Albert Schweitzer was being interviewed in London. And a reporter asked him, Doctor, what's wrong with men today? And the great doctor was silent a moment and then he said, men simply don't think. It's about this that I want to talk with you. We live today in a golden age. This is an era that man has looked forward to, dreamed of, and worked toward for thousands of years. But since it's here, we pretty well take it for granted. We in America are particularly fortunate to live in the richest land that ever existed on the face of the earth, a land of abundant opportunity for everyone. But do you know what happens? Well, let's take a hundred men who start even at the age of 25. Do you have any idea what will happen to those men by the time they're 65? These 100 men, who all start even at the age of 25, believe they're going to be successful. If you asked any one of these men if he wanted to be a success, he'd tell you he did. And you'd notice that he was eager toward life, that there was a certain sparkle to his eye, an erectness to his carriage, and life seemed like a pretty interesting adventure to him. But by the time they're 65, one will be rich. Four will be financially independent. Five will still be working. Fifty-four will be broke. Now think a moment. Out of the 100, only 5 make the grade. Now why do so many fail? What has happened to the sparkle that was there when they were 25? What's become of the dreams, the hopes, the plans? And why is there such a large disparity between what these men intended to do and what they actually accomplished? When we say about 5% achieve success, we have to define success. And here's the best definition I've ever been able to find. Success is the progressive realization of of a worthy ideal. If a man is working toward a predetermined goal and knows where he's going, that man is a success. If he's not doing that, he's a failure. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Rollo May, the distinguished psychiatrist, wrote a wonderful book called Man's Search for Himself. And in this book he says, the opposite of courage in our society is not cowardice, it is conformity. And there you have the trouble today. It's conformity. People acting like everyone else without knowing why, without knowing where they're going. Now think of it. In America right now, there are over 18 million people 65 years of age and older. And most of them are broke. They're dependent on someone else for life's necessities. Now, we learn to read by the time we're seven. We learn to make a living by the time we're 25. Usually by that time, we're not only making a living, we're supporting a family. And yet by the time we're 65, we haven't learned how to become financially independent in the richest land that has ever been known. Why? We conform. And the trouble is that we're acting like the wrong percentage group, the 95 who don't succeed. Now, why do these people conform? Well, they really don't know. These people believe that their lives are shaped by circumstances, by things that happen to them, by exterior forces. They're outer-directed people. A survey was made one time that covered a lot of men, working men, and these men were asked, Why do you work? Why do you get up in the morning? Nineteen out of twenty had no idea. If you ask them, they'll say, Well, everyone goes to work in the morning, and that's the reason they do it, because everyone else is doing it. Now, let's get back to our definition of success. Who succeeds? The only person who succeeds is the person who is progressively realizing a worthy ideal. Is the person who says, I'm going to become this and then begins to work toward that goal. I'll tell you who the successful people are. A success is the school teacher who's teaching school because that's what he or she wants to do. The success is the woman who's a wife and mother because she wanted to become a wife and mother and is doing a good job of it. The success is the man who runs the corner gas station because that was his dream. That's what he wanted to do. The success is the successful salesman who wants to become a top-notch salesman and grow and build with his organization. A success is anyone who is doing deliberately a predetermined job because that's what he decided to do deliberately. But only one out of 20 does that. That's why today there isn't really any competition unless we make it for ourselves. Instead of competing, all we have to do is create You know, for 20 years, I looked for the key which would determine what would happen to a human being. Was there a key I wanted to know which would make the future a promise that we could foretell to a large extent? Was there a key that would guarantee a person's becoming successful if he only knew about it and knew how to use it? Well, there is such a key, and I've found it. Have you ever wondered why so many men work so hard and honestly without ever achieving anything in particular? And others don't seem to work hard and yet seem to get everything? They seem to have the magic touch. You've heard them say that about someone. Everything he touches turns to gold. And have you ever noticed that a man who becomes successful tends to continue to become successful? And on the other hand, have you noticed how a man who's a failure tends to continue to fail? Well, it's because of goals. Some of us have goals. Some don't. People with goals succeed because they know where they're going. It's that simple. Think of a ship leaving a harbor, and think of it with the complete voyage mapped out and planned. The captain and crew know exactly where it's going and how long it'll take. It has a definite goal. Now 9,999 times out of 10,000, it will get to where it started out to get. Now let's take another ship, just like the first, only let's not put a crew on it or a captain at the helm. Let's give it no aiming point, no goal, no destination. We just start the engines and let it go. I think you'll agree with me that if it gets out of the harbor at all, it will either sink or wind up on some deserted beach a derelict. It can't go any place because it has no destination and no guidance, and it's the same with a human being. Take the salesman, for example. There's no other person in the world today with the future of a good salesman. Selling is the world's highest paid profession, if we're good at it and if we know where we're going. Every company needs top-notch salesmen, and they reward those men. The sky's the limit for them. But how many can you find? someone once said the human race is fixed not to prevent the strong from winning but to prevent the weak from losing the american economy today can be likened to a convoy in time of war the entire economy is slowed down to protect its weakest link just as the convoy had to go at the speed that would permit its slowest vessel to remain in formation that's why it's so easy to make a living today it takes no particular brains or talent to make a living and support a family today So we have a plateau of so-called security, if that's what a person is looking for. But we do have to decide how high above this plateau we want to aim. Now let's get back to the strangest secret in the world, the story that I wanted to tell you today. Why do men with goals succeed in life and men without them fail? Well, let me tell you something which, if you really understand it, will alter your life immediately. If you understand completely what I'm going to tell you from this moment on, your life will never be the same again. You will suddenly find that good luck just seems to be attracted to you. The things you want just seem to fall in line, and from now on you won't have the problems, the worries, the gnawing lump of anxiety that perhaps you've experienced before. Doubt, fear, well, there'll be things of the past. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now let me say that again. We become what we think about. Throughout all history, the great wise men and teachers, philosophers, and prophets have disagreed with one another on many different things. It's only on this one point that they are in complete and unanimous agreement. Listen to what Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman emperor, said. A man's life is what his thoughts make of it. Disraeli said this. Everything comes if a man will only wait. I have brought myself by long meditation to the conviction that a human being with a settled purpose must accomplish it, and that nothing can resist a will that will stake even existence for its fulfillment. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, A man is what he thinks about all day long. William James said, The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. And he also said, we need only in cold blood act as if the thing in question were real and it will become infallibly real by growing into such a connection with our life that it will become real. It will become so knit with habit and emotion that our interests in it will be those which characterize belief. And he also said, if you only care enough for a result, you will almost certainly attain it. If you wish to be rich, you will be rich. If you wish to be learned, you will be learned. If you wish to be good, you will be good. Only you must then really wish these things and wish them exclusively, and not wish at the same time a hundred other incompatible things just as strongly. In the Bible you read in Mark 9, 23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. My old friend Dr. Norman Vincent Peale put it this way, This is one of the greatest laws in the universe, Fervently do I wish I had discovered it as a very young man. It dawned upon me much later in life, and I found it to be one of the greatest, if not my greatest, discovery outside of my relationship to God. The great law, briefly and simply stated, is that if you think in negative terms, you will get negative results. If you think in positive terms, you will achieve positive results. That is the simple fact, he went on to say, which is at the basis of an astonishing law of prosperity and success. In three words, believe and succeed. William Shakespeare put it this way, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. George Bernard Shaw said, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, make them. Well, that's pretty apparent, isn't it? And every person who discovered this for a while believed that he was the first one to work it out. We become what we think about. Now, it stands to reason that a person who's thinking about a concrete and worthwhile goal is going to reach it, because that's what he's thinking about. And we become what we think about. Conversely, the man who has no goal, who doesn't know where he's going, and whose thoughts must therefore be thoughts of confusion and anxiety and fear and worry, becomes what he thinks about. His life becomes one of frustration and fear and anxiety and worry. And if he thinks about nothing he becomes nothing now how does it work why do we become what we think about well i'll tell you how it works as far as we know now to do this i want to tell you about a situation that parallels the human mind suppose a farmer has some land and it's good fertile land now the land gives the farmer a choice he may plant in that land whatever he chooses the land doesn't care it's up to the farmer to make the decision Now remember, we're comparing the human mind with the land, because the mind, like the land, doesn't care what you plant in it. It will return what you plant, but it doesn't care what you plant. Now let's say that the farmer has two seeds in his hand. One is a seed of corn, the other is nightshade, a deadly poison. He digs two little holes in the earth, and he plants both seeds, one corn, the other nightshade. He covers up the holes, waters, and takes care of the land, and what will happen? Invariably, the land will return what's planted, as it's written in the Bible, As ye sow, so shall ye reap. Now remember, the land doesn't care. It'll return poison in just as wonderful abundance as it will corn. So up come the two plants, one corn, one poison. Now the human mind is far more fertile, far more incredible and mysterious than the land, but it works the same way. It doesn't care what we plant. Success? Failure. A concrete worthwhile goal? Or confusion? misunderstanding fear anxiety and so on but what we plant it must return to us you see the human mind is the last great unexplored continent on earth it contains riches beyond our wildest dreams it will return anything we want to plant now you might say well if that's true why don't people use their minds more well I think they figured out an answer to that one too Our mind comes as standard equipment at birth. It's free, and things that are given to us for nothing, we place little value on. Things that we pay money for, we value. The paradox is that exactly the reverse is true. Everything that's really worthwhile in life came to us free. Our minds, our souls, our bodies, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our intelligence, our love of family and children and friends and country, all these priceless possessions are free. But the things that cost us money are actually very cheap and can be replaced at any time. A good man can be completely wiped out and make another fortune. He can do that several times. Even if our home burns down, we can rebuild it. But the things we got for nothing, we can never replace. The human mind isn't used because we take it for granted. Familiarity breeds contempt. It can do any kind of job we assign to it, but generally speaking, we use it for little jobs instead of big important ones. Universities have proved that most of us are operating on about 10% or less of our abilities. So decide now. What is it you want? Plant your goal in your mind. It's the most important decision you ever make in your entire life. What is it you want? Do you want to be an outstanding salesman? A better worker at your particular job? Do you want to go places in your company? In your community? Do you want to get rich? All you've got to do is plant that seed in your mind, care for it, work steadily toward your goal, and it will become a reality. It not only will, there's no way that it cannot. You see, that's a law like the laws of Sir Isaac Newton, the laws of gravity. If you get on top of a building and jump off, you'll always go down. You'll never go up, and it's the same with all the other laws of nature. They always work. They're inflexible. Think about your goal in a relaxed, positive way. Picture yourself in your mind's eye as having already achieved this goal. See yourself doing the things you will be doing when you've reached your goal. Ours has been called the phenobarbital age, the age of ulcers and nervous breakdowns and tranquilizers. At a time when medical research has raised us to a new plateau of good health and longevity, far too many of us worry ourselves into an early grave, trying to cope with things in our own little personal ways without learning a few great laws that will take care of everything for us. These things we bring on ourselves through our habitual way of thinking. Every one of us is the sum total of his own thoughts. He is where he is because that's exactly where he really wants to be, whether he'll admit that or not. Each of us must live off the fruit of his thoughts in the future because what you think today and tomorrow, next month and next year will mold your life and determine your future. You're guided by your mind. I remember one time I was driving through eastern Arizona and I saw one of those giant earth-moving machines roaring along the road at about 35 miles an hour with what looked like 30 tons of dirt in it. A tremendous, incredible machine. And there was a little man perched way up on top with the wheel in his hands guiding it. And as I drove along, I was struck by the similarity of that machine to the human mind. Just suppose you're sitting at the controls of such a vast source of energy. Are you going to sit back and fold your arms and let it run itself into a ditch? Or are you going to keep both hands firmly on the wheel and control and direct this power to a specific, worthwhile purpose? It's up to you. You're in the driver's seat. You see, the very law that gives us success is a two-edged sword. We must control our thinking. The same rule that can lead a man to a life of success, wealth, happiness, and all the things he ever dreamed of for himself and his family. That very same law can lead him into the gutter. It's all in how he uses it, for good or for bad. This is the strangest secret in the world. Now why do I say it's strange, and why do I call it a secret? Actually, it isn't a secret at all. It was first promulgated by some of the earliest wise men, and it appears again and again throughout the Bible, but very few people have learned it, understand it. That's why it's strange, and why for some equally strange reason it virtually remains a secret. I believe that you could go out and walk down the main street of your town and ask one man after another what the secret of success is, and you probably wouldn't run into one man in a month who could tell you. Now, this information is enormously valuable to us if we really understand it and apply it. It's valuable to us not only for our own lives, but the lives of those around us, our families, employees, associates, and friends. Life should be an exciting adventure. It should never be a bore. A man should live fully Be alive. He should be glad to get out of bed in the morning. He should be doing a job he likes to do because he does it well. One time I heard Grove Patterson, the great late editor-in-chief of the Toledo Daily Blade, make a speech. And as he concluded his speech, he said something I've never forgotten. He said, my years in the newspaper business have convinced me of several things. Among them, that people are basically good and that we came from someplace and we're going someplace. So we should make our time here an exciting adventure. The architect of the universe didn't build a stairway leading nowhere. And the greatest teacher of all, the carpenter from the plains of Galilee gave us the secret time and time again. As ye believe, so shall it be done unto you. I've explained the strangest secret in the world and how it works. Now on this side I want to explain how you can prove to yourself the enormous returns possible in your own life by putting this secret to a practical test, I want you to make a test that will last 30 days. It isn't going to be easy, but if you'll give it a good try, it will completely change your life for the better. Now, back in the 17th century, Sir Isaac Newton, the English mathematician and natural philosopher, gave us some natural laws of physics which apply as much to human beings as they do to the movement of bodies in the universe. And one of these laws is that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Simply stated, as it applies to you and me, it means we can achieve nothing without paying the price. The results of your 30-day experiment will be in direct proportion to the effort you put forth. To be a doctor, you must pay the price of long years of difficult study. To be successful in selling and remember that each of us succeeds to the extent of his ability to sell. Selling our families on our ideas, selling education in schools, selling our children on the advantages of living the good and honest life. Selling our associates and employees on the importance of being exceptional people. Two, of course, the profession of selling itself. But to be successful in selling our way to the good life, we must be willing to pay the price. And what is that price? Well, it's many things. First, it's understanding emotionally, as well as intellectually, that we literally become what we think about. That we must control our thoughts if we're to control our lives. It's understanding fully that as ye sow, so shall ye reap. Second, it's cutting away all fetters from the mind and permitting it to soar as it was divinely designed to do. It's the realization that your limitations are self-imposed and that the opportunities for you today are enormous beyond belief. It's rising above narrow-minded pettiness and prejudice. And third, it's using all your courage to force yourself to think positively on your own problem, to set a definite and clearly defined goal for yourself, to let your marvelous mind think about your goal from all possible angles, to let your imagination speculate freely upon many different possible solutions, to refuse to believe that there are any circumstances sufficiently strong to defeat you in the accomplishment of your purpose, to act promptly and decisively when your course is clear, and to keep constantly aware of the fact that you are at this moment standing in the middle of your own acres of diamonds, as Russell Conwell used to point out. And fourth, save at least 10%. Of every dollar you earn. It's also remembering that no matter what your present job it has enormous possibilities if you're willing to pay the price. Now let's just go over the important points in the price each of us must pay to achieve the wonderful life that can be ours. It is of course worth any price. 1. You will become what you think about. 2. Remember the word imagination and let your mind begin to soar. 3. Courage. Concentrate on your goal every day. 4. Save 10% of what you earn. And five, action. Ideas are worthless unless we act on them. Now, I'll try to outline the 30-day test I want you to make. Keep in mind that you have nothing to lose by making this test and everything you could possibly want to gain. There are two things that may be said of everyone. Each of us wants something, and each of us is afraid of something. I want you to write on a card what it is you want more than anything else. It may be more money. Perhaps you'd like to double your income or make a specific amount of money. It may be a beautiful home. It may be success at your job. It may be a particular position in life. It could be a more harmonious family. Each of us wants something. Now write down on your card specifically what it is you want. Make sure it's a single goal and clearly defined. You needn't show it to anyone, but carry it with you so that you can look at it several times a day. Think about it in a cheerful, relaxed, positive way each morning when you get up. And immediately you have something to work for, something to get out of bed for, something to live for. Look at it every chance you get during the day and just before going to bed at night. And as you look at it, remember that you must become what you think about. And since you're thinking about your goal, you realize that soon it will be yours. In fact, it's yours really the moment you write it down and begin to think about it. Look at the abundance all around you as you go about your daily business. You have as much right to this abundance as any other living creature. It's yours for the asking. Now we come to the difficult part. Difficult because it means the formation of what is probably a brand new habit, and new habits are not easily formed. Once formed, however, it will follow you for the rest of your life. Stop thinking about what it is you fear. Each time a fearful or negative thought comes into your consciousness, replace it with a mental picture of your positive and worthwhile goal. And there'll come times when you'll feel like giving up. It's easier for a human being to think negatively than positively. That's why only 5% are successful. You must begin now to place yourself in that group. For 30 days, you must take control of your mind. It will think about only what you permit it to think about. Each day for this 30-day test, do more than you have to do in addition to maintaining a cheerful positive outlook give of yourself more than you've ever done before do this knowing that your returns in life must be in direct proportion to what you give the moment you decide on a goal to work toward you're immediately a successful person you are then in that rare and successful category of people who know where they're going out of every hundred people you belong to the top five don't concern yourself too much with how you're going to achieve your goal leave that completely to a power greater than yourself All you have to do is know where you're going. The answers will come to you of their own accord and at the right time. Remember these words from the Sermon on the Mount and remember them well. Keep them constantly before you this month of your test. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, It shall be opened it's as marvelous and as simple as that in fact it's so simple that in our seemingly complicated world it's difficult for an adult to understand that all he needs is a purpose and faith for 30 days do your very best if you're a salesman go at it as you've never done before not in a hectic fashion but with the calm cheerful assurance that time well spent will give you the abundance in return you deserve and want If you're a homemaker, devote your 30-day test to completely giving of yourself without thinking about receiving anything in return, and you'll be amazed at the difference it makes in your life. No matter what your job, do it as you've never done it before for 30 days. And if you've kept your goal before you every day, you'll wonder and marvel at this new life you've found. Dorothea Brand, the outstanding editor and writer, discovered it for herself and tells about it in her fine book, Wake Up and Live. Her entire philosophy is reduced to the words, Act as though it were impossible to fail. She made her own test with sincerity and faith, and her entire life was changed to one of overwhelming success. Now, you make your test for 30 full days. Don't start your test until you've made up your mind to stick with it. You see, by being persistent, you're demonstrating faith. Persistence is simply another word for faith. If you didn't have faith, you'd never persist. If you should fail during your first 30 days, by that I mean suddenly find yourself overwhelmed by negative thoughts, you've got to start over again from that point and go 30 more days. Gradually, your new habit will form until you find yourself one of that wonderful minority to whom virtually nothing is impossible. And don't forget the card. It's vitally important as you begin this new way of living. On one side of the card, write your goal, whatever it may be. On the other side, write the words we've quoted from the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Nothing great was ever accomplished without inspiration. See that during these crucial first thirty days, your own inspiration is kept at a peak. And above all, don't worry. Worry brings fear, and fear is crippling. The only thing that can cause you to worry during your test is trying to do it all yourself. Know that all you have to do is hold your goal before you. Everything else will take care of itself. Remember also to keep calm and cheerful. Don't let petty things annoy you and get you off course. Now, since making this test is difficult, some will say, why should I bother? Well, look at the alternative. No one wants to be a failure. No one really wants to be a mediocre individual. No one wants a life constantly filled with worry and fear and frustration. Therefore, remember that you must reap that which you sow. If you sow negative thoughts, your life will be filled with negative things. If you sow positive thoughts, your life will be cheerful, successful, and positive. Now gradually, you'll have a tendency to forget what you've heard on this recording. Play it often. Keep reminding yourself of what you must do to form this new habit. Gather your whole family around at regular intervals and listen to what's been said here. You know, most men will tell you that they want to make money without understanding the law. The only people who make money work in a mint. The rest of us must earn money. This is what causes those who keep looking for something for nothing or a free ride to fail in life. The only way to earn money is by providing people with services or products which are needed and useful. We exchange our time and our product or service for the other man's money. Therefore, the law is that our financial return will be in direct proportion to our service. Now, success is not the result of making money. Making money is the result of success. And success is in direct proportion to our service. Most people have this law backwards. They believe that you're successful if you earn a lot of money. The truth is that you can only earn money after you're successful. It's like the story of the man who sat in front of the stove and said to it, Give me heat, and then I'll add the wood. How many men and women do you know or do you suppose there are today who take the same attitude toward life? There are millions. We've got to put the fuel in before we can expect heat. Likewise, we've got to be of service first before we can expect money. Don't concern yourself with the money. Be of service Build, work, dream, create. Do this and you'll find there's no limit to the prosperity and abundance will come to you. Prosperity, you know, is founded upon a law of mutual exchange. Any person who contributes to prosperity must prosper in turn himself. Sometimes the return will not come from those you serve, but it must come to you from someplace, because that's the law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. As you go daily through your 30-day test period, remember that your success will always be measured by the quality and quantity of service you render. And money is a yardstick for measuring this service. No man can get rich himself unless he enriches others. Now, there are no exceptions to a law. You can drive down any street in America and from your car estimate the service that's being rendered by the people living on that street. Had you ever thought of this yardstick before? It's interesting. Some, like ministers and priests and other devoted people, measure their returns in the realm of the spiritual. But again, their returns are equal to their service. Once this law is fully understood, any thinking person can tell his own fortune. If he wants more, he must be of more service to those from whom he receives his return. If he wants less, he has only to reduce his service. This is the price you must pay for what you want. If you believe you can enrich yourself by deluding others, you can end only by deluding yourself. It may take some time, but just as surely as you breathe, you'll get back what you put out. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking you can avert this. It's impossible. The prisons and the streets where the lonely walk are filled with people who tried to make new laws just for themselves. We may avoid the laws of man for a while, but there are greater laws that cannot be broken. An outstanding medical doctor recently pointed out six steps that will help you realize success. One, set yourself a definite goal. Two, quit running yourself down. Three, Stop thinking of all the reasons why you cannot be successful and instead think of all the reasons why you can. Four, trace your attitudes back through your childhood and try to discover where you first got the idea you couldn't be successful, if that's the way you've been thinking. Five, change the image you have of yourself by writing out a description of the person you would like to be. And six, act the part of the successful person you have decided to become. The doctor who wrote those words is a noted West Coast psychiatrist, Dr. David Harold Fink. Do what the experts since the dawn of recorded history have told you you must do. Pay the price by becoming the person you want to become. It's not nearly as difficult as living unsuccessfully. Make your 30-day test, then repeat it, then repeat it again, and each time it will become more a part of you until you'll wonder how you could ever have lived any other way. Live this new way and the floodgates of abundance will open and pour over you more riches than you may have dreamed existed. Money? Yes, lots of it. But what's more important, you'll have peace. You'll be in that wonderful minority who lead calm, cheerful, successful lives. Start today. You have nothing to lose, but you have a whole life to win.
0: Okay. That was Earl Nightingale. Holy cow. What an incredible breakdown of a lot of different ideas around success and abundance. Success being the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. I love that. And then money's the byproduct of the success. The success is you're doing what you want to do, what you love to do, where your talents are best utilized, and that's success. And he said, the minute you're doing that, that's when you become a successful person. I thought that was so profound. There were so many really good points. What do you think, Brad?
1: So many profound things. Yeah, just what you said. It's yours the moment you write it down and begin to think about that you create that vacuum that we were talking about earlier. Um, Also something that's uh, stuck out to me is that it doesn't matter what is planted. You know, whatever you plant is what, you know, what will grow. And so if you plant goals in your mind, if you plant nothing in your mind, if you plant negativity in your mind, whatever it is you plant is what will grow. And so, you know, that's, um, something to think about.
0: Well, it's really the crux of the whole recording. You become what you think about, right? Yes. And that kind of segues into the law of attraction, but I just want to say you become what you think about. And then we're part of the collective. We're just this one human organism, this energy, this humanity. You become what you think about, and then we become what we think about. So if you're focused on things that you fear, you're focused on negativity, then that's what you're going to attract. That's what you're going to manifest, and that's what we're going to learn from Napoleon Hill, a little bit about the law of attraction and other things. But that's what Earl's saying. Stop thinking about what you fear. Everything around us, media, everything wants us to be in a state of fear. And then we're going to attract fearful things. Get out of that frequency, get into the frequency of love, of faith, find your purpose. And that's where success is. And then you're in the top 5% of humanity. It's just a statistic. You're not better than anyone. Let's make it a hundred percent of humanity, but we're just not there yet because so many people don't have that definiteness of purpose that, that, uh, need to do more to, to really activate themselves fully.
1: Uh, yeah. And that, um, that party said about act as though it were impossible to fail and that it's not about not worrying about how you're going to do it is just deciding that you're going to do it and the other pieces will fall into place. Those ideals will come to you. The resources will come to you and on down the road you'll go.
0: All right. Well, on that note, we're going to go into the next lecture with Napoleon Hill. But I just want to say with Earl Nightingale, the 30-day test that he was talking about, I haven't personally ever done it. I've listened to this recording hundreds of times probably at this point. But I've never done the 30-day test. If you do the 30-day test, I'll do the 30-day test. Send me an email. Let's do it together. If you do it, I'll do it. Let's do it together. Let me know. That and sounds
1: like a great challenge. I've been waiting
0: for someone to join me in that. So, Or you could just do it yourself if you want to. <laughs> it's an incredible thing to do. All the things he said, like I said, the words seem a little dated. Just like even Napoleon Hill, he's from an earlier time, born even earlier than Earl Nightingale. He was a contemporary, 20s, 30s, all those people of that time. That's where he was. So, The language may seem a little dated, but the information is timeless, like I said. So, on that note, we're now going to go into Napoleon Hill with The Law of Attraction.
3: Now then, let's break down the um, lesson on definitely of purpose and see exactly what it means, why it's the starting point of all achievement. Because it is the starting point of all individual achievements. And uh, a definite purpose must be accompanied by a definite plan for its attainment, followed by appropriate action. Now, you have to have a purpose, you have to have a plan, and you have to start putting that plan into action. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not too important that your plan be sound. It is, in, effect, in fact, it's not too important. Because if you find that you've adopted a plan that's not sound, that's not working, you can always change. You can modify your plan. But it is very important that you be definite about what it is you're going after, what your purpose is. That must be very definite. There can be no ifs or ands about it, and you'll see before you get through this lesson why it's got to be definite. Now, just to understand this philosophy, to read it or to hear me talk about it, it wouldn't be of very much value to you. The value will come when you begin to uh, form your own patterns out of this philosophy and put it into work in your daily lives, in your business, in your professions, or in your jobs, or in your human relations. That's where the benefits will really come. The second premise, all individual achievements are the results of a motive or a combination of motives. I just want to impress upon you that you have no right to ask anybody to do anything at any time. Without what? Without giving that person an adequate motive. And incidentally, that's the warp and the woof of all salesmanship. The ability to plant in the mind of the prospective buyer an adequate motive for his buying. Learning to deal with people by planting in their minds adequate motives for their doing the things that you want them to do. Now, uh, there are a lot of people who call themselves salesmen who have never heard of the nine basic motives, who do not know that they have no right to ask for a sale until they have planted a motive in the mind of the buyer for his buy. The third premise, any dominating idea, plan, or purpose held in the mind through repetition of thought, any dominating idea, plan, or purpose held in the mind through repetition of thought, And emotionalized with a burning desire for its realization is taken over by the subconscious section of the mind and acted upon through whatever natural and logical means that may be available. Now in that paragraph you've got a tremendous lesson in psychology. If you want the mind to pick up an idea and to form a habit so that the mind will automatically act upon that idea. You've got to tell the mind what you want over and over and over again. No end to it. When Mr. Kui came over here some years ago with his famous uh, formula, day by day in every way, I'm getting better and better. uh, He cured thousands of people, but a very great number more than that he didn't cure. And I wonder if you would know why. There was no desire, there was no feeling put into that statement. You might just as well blow in the wind as to make a statement unless you put some feeling back of it. Unless you believe it. And incidentally, if you tell yourself anything, often enough you'll get to where you will believe it. Even a lie. (laughs) It is funny, isn't it? But it happens to be true. (laughs) You know, there are people who tell uh, little white lies and sometimes they're not so white at at that until they get to where they believe them themselves. Now the subconscious mind doesn't, uh, doesn't know the difference between right or wrong. It doesn't know the difference between positive or negative. It doesn't know the difference between a penny or a million dollars. It doesn't know the difference between success and failure. It'll accept any statement that you keep repeating to it by thoughts or by words or by any other means. And incidentally, it's up to you in the beginning to lay out your definite purpose, write it out so that it can be understood, memorize it, and start repeating it day in and day out until your subconscious mind picks it up and automatically acts upon it. Now this is going to take a little time. You can't expect to undo. overnight what, you're, what you've been doing to your subconscious mind back down through the years by allowing negative thoughts to get into it. You can't expect that to happen overnight. But you will find that if you uh, emotionalize any plan that you send over to your subconscious mind and repeat it in a state of enthusiasm and back it up with a spirit of faith, if you do that, the subconscious mind not only acts more quickly, but it acts more definitely and more positively. And the fourth premise, any dominating desire, plan, or purpose which is backed by that state of mind known as faith is taken over by the subconscious section of the mind and acted upon immediately. That state of mind, ladies and gentlemen, is the only state of mind that will produce immediate action through the subconscious mind. And uh, when I say uh, faith, I don't have reference to wishing or hoping (laughs) or mildly believing. I don't have reference to any of those things. I have reference to a state of mind wherein whatever it is that you're going to do, you can see it already in a finished act before you even begin it. Now that's pretty positive, isn't it? I can truthfully tell you that not ever in my whole life have I undertaken to do anything that I didn't do it unless I got careless in my desire to do it. And backed away from it, or change my mind or my mental attitude. I have never failed to do anything that I made up my mind to do. And I'll tell you that you can put yourself in a frame of mind where you can do whatever you make up your mind to do, unless you weaken as you go along. as so many people do. Now let's get back to this fourth premise again. Any dominating desire, plan or purpose, which is backed by that state of mind known as faith is taken over by the subconscious section of the mind and acted upon immediately. I don't know for sure, ladies and gentlemen, but I suspect that there's a relatively small number of people in the world at any one time who understand the principle of faith, who really understand it and know how to apply. And even if you do understand it, if you don't back it up with action and make it a part of your uh, habit life, you might just as well not understand it. Because faith without deeds is dead. Faith without action is dead. Faith without uh, absolute positive belief is dead. I don't know how you're going to get any results through believing unless you put some action back of that belief. And incidentally, if you tell your mind often enough that you have faith in anything, the time will come when your subconscious mind will accept that, even if you tell your mind often enough that you have faith in yourself. Had you ever thought what a nice thing it would be if you had such complete faith in yourself that you wouldn't hesitate to undertake anything you wanted to do in life? Uh, Had you ever thought what what a benefit that would be to you? Do you know how many people there are that sell themselves short all the way through life because they don't have the right amount of confidence, let alone faith? Give a guess as to the percentage. Well, it's somewhere between 98 and 100. <laughs> the margin who do is so small that I wouldn't begin to guess just exactly what it is. But judging by the good many thousands of people that I've come into contact with, and I'll, you know it without my telling you that my audiences and my classes are always above average, judging by those people, I would say that... Uh, It's uh, well over 98% of the people who never in our whole lives develop a sufficient amount of confidence in themselves to go out and to undertake and to do the things they want to do in life. They accept from life whatever life hands them. Isn't it a strange thing how nature works? She gives you a set of tubes. Everything that you need to attain all that you can use or aspire to have in this world. She gives you a set of tools adequate for your every need. And she rewards you bountifully for accepting and using those tools. That's all you have to do, just accept them and use them. She penalizes you beyond compare if you don't accept them and use them. Nature hates vacuums and idleness, she wants everything to be in action. And especially does she want the human mind to be in action. The mind is not different from any other part of the body. If you don't use it, if you don't rely upon it, it atrophies and withers away and finally gets to where anybody can push you around. Anybody. And oftentimes you don't have the uh, willpower to even resist or protest when people push you around. The fifth premise... The power of thought is the only thing over which any human being has complete, unquestionable means of control. A fact so astounding that it connotes a close relationship between the mind of man and infinite intelligence. Now, there are only five known things in the whole universe, ladies and gentlemen, just five, and out of those five is shaped everything that's in existence from the smallest electrons and protons of matter on up to the largest suns that float out there in the heavens, including you and me. Just five things. There's time and there's space. There's energy and there's matter. And those four things would be no good without the fifth thing. They'd be nothing. Everything would be chaos. You and I wouldn't have never could have existed. Without that fifth thing. What do you think it is? Peanut butter. A universal intelligence. And it uh, reflects itself in every blade of grass, everything that grows out of the ground, in all of the electrons and protons of matter. It reflects itself in space and in time, in everything that is. There is intelligence. Intelligence operating all the time. And the person who is the most successful is the one who finds ways and means of appropriating most of this intelligence through his brain and putting it into action. This intelligence permeates the whole universe, space, time, matter, energy, everything else. And every individual has the privilege of appropriating to his own use as much of this intelligence as he chooses. He can only appropriate it by using it. Just understanding it or believing in it is not enough. You've got to put it into specialized use in some form. And the responsibility of this course mainly is to give you a pattern, a blueprint by which you can take possession of your own mind and put it into operation. All you have to do is to follow the blueprint. Don't just pick out that part of it which you like best and uh, discard the other. Take it all as is. The sixth premise, the subconscious section of the mind appears to be the only doorway of individual approach to infinite intelligence. Now, I want you to study that language very carefully. I said it appears to be. I don't know if it is, and I doubt if you do, and I doubt if anyone knows definitely. We are, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about it, but from the best intelligence that I have been able to use, best observations that I have been able to make through thousands of experiments, It is true that the subconscious section of the mind is the only doorway of individual approach to infinite intelligence, and it is capable of influence by the individual through the means described in this and subsequent lessons. The basis of approach is faith based upon definiteness of purpose. Now there is one sentence that gives you the whole key to that paragraph. Faith based upon definiteness of purpose. Uh, Do you have any idea why it is that you don't have as much confidence in yourself as you should have? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Have you ever stopped to think about why it is when uh, you see an opportunity coming along or what you believe to be an opportunity, you begin to question your ability to embrace it and use it? Haven't you had that happen to you many times? Doesn't it happen every day? And if you've had a chance to be closely associated with people who are very successful, you'll know that that is one thing that they are not bothered by. If they want to do something, it never occurs to them they can't do it. I hope that in your association with the Portland Hill Associates, you come to know my distinguished uh, business associate, Mr. W. Clement Stone, better, because if I ever saw a man that knows the power of his mind and is willing to rely upon that mind, Mr. Stone is that man. I don't think Mr. Stone has any worries. I don't believe he would tolerate a worry. I think it would be an insult to his intelligence if he recognized that anything was worrying him. Why? Because he has confidence in his ability to use his mind and to make that mind create the circumstances that he wants created. And that's the condition and the operation of any successful mind. And that's going to be the condition of your mind when you get through with this philosophy. You're going to be able to project your mind into whatever objective you choose, and you'll be never any question in your mind as to whether you can do what you want to do or not. Never a question in the world. Both of a receiving set and a broadcasting station for the vibrations of thought. A fact which explains the importance of moving with definiteness of purpose instead of drifting, since the brain may be so thoroughly charged with the nature of one's purpose. That it will begin to attract the physical or material equivalents of that purpose. Get it into your consciousness that the first radio broadcasting and receiving set was the one that exists in the brain of man. And not only does it exist in the brain of man, but it exists in a great many animals. I have a couple of Pomeranian dogs, and they know exactly what I'm thinking sometimes before I know. They're so smart. They can tune in on me. They know when we start off for an automobile ride whether they're going or whether they're not. You don't have to say a word, not a word, because they're in constant attunement with us. Your uh, mind is sending out vibrations constantly. And if you're a salesman and you're going to call on a prospective buyer, the sale ought to be made before you ever come into presence of the buyer. Had you ever thought of that? If you're going to do anything requiring the cooperation of other people, Condition your mind so that you know the other fellow is going to cooperate. Why? First, because the plan that you're going to offer him is so fair and honest and so beneficial to him that he can't refuse it. In other words, you have a right to his cooperation. you would be surprised to know how, what a change there will be in people when you come sending out over this broadcasting station of yours, positive thoughts instead of thoughts of fear. Now, if you want a good illustration of how this uh, broadcasting station works, you uh, need a $1,000 real badly, and you go down to the bank somewhere, and you've got to have that $1,000 by a day after tomorrow. They're going to take the car back, or the furniture, or something else. You just have to have that $1,000. Why, the banker can tell the moment you walk inside the door that you just have to have it, and he doesn't want you to have it. Isn't that funny? No, it's not funny. It's tragic. You uh, carry the matches around in your pocket. Oftentimes it sets your own house afire. You broadcast your thoughts and uh, they precede you. And uh, when you get there, uh, you find that uh, instead of getting the cooperation you went after, the other person reflects back to you what? That state of doubt, that state of mind that you sent out ahead of you. I used to teach salesmanship. I made my living that way for a long time while I was doing the research on this philosophy, and I have taught over thirty thousand salesmen, many of them now life members of the coveted million-dollar roundtable in the life insurance field. And if there is one thing in this world that has to be sold, it's life insurance. Nobody ever buys life insurance. It has to be sold. And the first thing that I taught those. Uh, People under my direction was that they must make the sale to themselves before they try to make it to the other fellow. And if they don't do that, they're not going to make a sale. Somebody might buy something from but they'll never make a sale unless they first make it to themselves. Every brain a broadcasting station and a receiving set And you can attune that brain so that it'll attract only the positive vibrations released by other people. Now, that's the point I'm coming to and that I wanted you to get. By habit, you can train your own mind to pick up out of that myriad of vibrations that are floating out there constantly. Train your mind to pick up only the things that are related to what you want most in life. And how do you do that? Why, you do that by keeping your mind on what you want most in life, your definite major purpose, So, uh, by repetition, by thought, by action, until finally the brain will not pick up anything not related to that definite purpose. Is that a marvelous thought? You can educate your brain so that it will absolutely refuse to pick up any vibrations except those related to what you want. And ladies and gentlemen, when you get your brain under control like that, you will be on the path, really and truly on the beam. Now let's uh, see what are some of the benefits of definiteness of purpose. First of all, definiteness of purpose automatically develops self-reliance. Personal initiative, imagination, enthusiasm, self-discipline, and concentration of effort all of these being prerequisites for success of vital importance now that's quite an array of things that you really developed you develop through definiteness of purpose that is to say knowing what you want having a plan for getting it having your mind occupied mostly with the carrying out of that plan and if you happen to adopt a plan and unless you're an unusual person you're almost sure to adopt some plans that are not going to work so well when you find out that your plan is not right immediately uh, discard it and get another one and keep on until you find one that will work and in the process of doing this just remember one thing that maybe somewhere along the line that infinite intelligence being gifted with a great deal of wisdom might have a plan for you better than the one you had yourself have an open mind If you adopt a plan to carry out your major purpose or a minor purpose and it doesn't work well, dismiss that plan and ask for guidance from infinite intelligence. You may get that guidance. and What can you do to be sure that you will get it? Why, you can believe that you'll get it. You can believe that you'll get it. And it's not going to hurt if you say out loud orally that you believe it. I suspect that uh, the Creator can know your thoughts, but I found that if you express yourself with a lot of enthusiasm, it doesn't hurt any. (laughs) And I'm sure that it doesn't uh, hurt uh, in arousing your subconscious mind. When I wrote Think and Grow Rich, the original title of it was The 13 Steps to Riches. And both the publisher and I knew that that was not a box office title. We had to have a million dollar title. Well, they went ahead and set set the book up and type and the publisher kept prodding me every day to give him the title that I wanted. And I, I wrote it five or six hundred titles. There weren't any of them any good. Not any of them. And then one day he scared the dickens out of me. He called me up and said, well, he said, uh, tomorrow morning I've got to have that title. And he said, if you don't have one, I have one that's a humdinger. I said, what is it? He said, uh, we're going to call it Use Your Noodle and Get the Moodle. I said, my goodness, you'll ruin me. <laughs> Why is it that that... Uh, this is a dignified book and that's a flippant title why that will ruin the book and me too he said whether it will or not that's the title unless you give me a better one by tomorrow morning <laughs> now i want you to follow this incident because it's it's a uh, it's uh, it's potent with uh, food for thought what i'm now telling you. i went in that night and sat down on my bed as i was going to on the side of the bed and i had a talk with my subconscious mind and i said now look here old sub You and I have gone a long way together, and you've done a lot of things for me and some things to me, thanks to my ignorance. But I've got to have a million-dollar title, and I've got to have it tonight. Do you understand that? I got to talking so loudly that the man in the apartment above me thumped on the floor. (laughs) And I don't blame him, because I guess he thought I was quarreling with my wife or something. Well, I really gave the subconscious mind no doubt as to what I wanted. Now, I didn't tell him, I didn't tell the subconscious mind exactly what kind of a title. I said, it's gotta be a million dollar title. I went to bed when I, when I had charged my subconscious mind until I reached that psychological moment where I knew it was going to produce what I wanted. And if I hadn't have, if I hadn't have gotten to that point, I'd have been up there still sitting on the side of that bed talking to my subconscious. There is a psychological moment, and you can feel it when uh, you, the power of faith uh, takes over whatever you're trying to do and says, all right, now you can relax. This is it. I went to bed, and about two o'clock in the morning, I woke up as if somebody had uh, shaken me real hard, and as I came out of my sleep, think and grow rich was in my mind. Oh boy, I let out an Indian hoof. I jumped at my typewriter and wrote it down, and I grabbed the telephone and I called the publisher. He you said, know, what's the matter? Just count on fire and all night. About 2.30 in the morning for this time. I said, yes, you bet it is. With a million dollar title, he said, let's have her." I said, think and go rich. He said, boy, you've got it. <laughs> yes, I'll say we've got it. That book has grossed outside of the United States over 23 million dollars already and probably will gross over 100 million dollars before I pass on. And there's no end to it. A million dollar... A multi-million dollar title. Well, after the thrashing that I gave my subconscious, I'm not surprised that it really came over and did a good job. Now, uh, why didn't I uh, use that method in the first place? Isn't that a funny thing? Well, I, I know the law. Why did I fool around about it and temporize? Why didn't I go to the source and get my subconscious mind all heated up instead of sitting down under my typewriter writing out five or six hundred times? Why didn't I? Well, I'll tell you why, for the same reason that you oftentimes know what to do but won't do it. There's no explaining the indifference of mankind toward himself. Even after you know what the law is, you'll know what the score is, and you fool around until the last limit before you do anything about it. Just like in prayer, fool around about prayer until the time of need comes, and then you're scared to death, and of course you don't get any results from prayer. If you want to have results from prayer, you condition your mind so that your life is a prayer, day in and day out, every minute of your life. A constant prayer, because it's based upon belief. Belief in your dignity and your right to tune in on infinite intelligence and to have the things that you need in this world. And so it is with this human mind. You've got to condition the mind as you go along from day to day so that when any emergency arises, you'll be right there ready to deal with it. Also, the uh, definiteness of purpose induces one to budget one's time and to plan day-to-day endeavors which lead to the attainment of one's major purpose. If you would sit down and put a, 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 an hour-by-hour hour account of the actual work that you put in each day for one week, and then an hour-by-hour hour account of the time that you waste that you could devote to anything you want to, if you wanted to, badly enough, you're going to get one of the shocks of your life. We're not efficient. You know, you have three hours, uh, uh, about eight hours to sleep, and about eight hours to earn a living, and then you have eight hours of free time that you can do anything that you want to with here in this country where we live. And then, definiteness of purpose makes one more alert in recognizing opportunities related to the object of one's major purpose. And it inspires the courage to embrace and act upon those opportunities. And now, we all see opportunities almost every day of our lives which if we embrace them and acted upon them could, could benefit us but there's a, there's something in us that we call procrastination we just don't uh, have the will the alertness the determination to embrace opportunities when they come along <laughs> but if you condition your mind with this philosophy you'll not only embrace opportunities but you'll do something better what could you do better than embrace an opportunity make the, make the opportunity that's a, that's the idea One of uh, Napoleon's generals, the other Napoleon, <laughs> came to him one day and they were fixing to attack the next morning. And this general says, sir, the conditions, the circumstances are not just right for the attack tomorrow. And Napoleon says, circumstance is not right, hell, I make circumstances. Attack! And I have never seen a successful man yet in any business that didn't say when somebody says it can't be done, he said, attack! Attack! Start where you are. And when you get around to that curve in the road, although you can't see by it until you get there, you'll always find that the road goes on around. Attack! Don't procrastinate. Don't stand still. Attack! And uh, definiteness of purpose inspires confidence in one's integrity and character, and it attracts the favorable attention of other people. Have you ever thought about that? I think the whole world loves to see a person walking with his chest sticking out, walking with an atmosphere that tells the whole <laughs> doggone world that he knows what he's doing, and he's probably right on the way doing it. Why, do you know, people get out of the way on the sidewalk and let you go by if you are determined to get by. And you don't have to whistle at them either or holler at them or anything of that kind. You just have to send your thoughts ahead with determination that you're going through that crowd. And believe me, they stand aside and let you go through. And the world's like that. The man who knows where he is going and is determined to get there will always find willing helpers to cooperate with him. Now, there's another very important thing. The greatest of all its benefits, that is, definiteness of purpose, it opens the way for the full exercise of that state of mind known as faith. By making the mind positive and freeing the mind from the limitations of fear and doubt and discouragement and indecision and procrastination. The very minute that you decide upon something, you know that's what you want, you know you're going to do it. All of these negatives that have been bothering you, they pick up their baggage and get out. They just move out. They can't live in a positive mind. Can you imagine a negative frame of mind and a positive frame of mind occupying the same space at the same time? Could you imagine that? No, you can't, because it can't be done. And did you know that the slightest bit of a a negative mental attitude is sufficient to destroy the power of prayer? Did you know that the slightest bit of of a negative mental attitude is sufficient to destroy your plan, whatever it is you're doing? Carrying out your definiteness of purpose? You have to move with courage, with faith, with determination in connection with carrying out your definiteness of purpose. And next, definiteness of purpose makes one success conscious. You know what I mean by success conscious? If I said uh, it makes one also health conscious, would you know what I meant by that? What do I mean? Why, your thoughts are predominantly about health. And uh, with reference to success consciousness, your thoughts are predominantly about success. The can-do part of life and not the no-can-do. Did you know that that 98% of the people who never get anywhere in in life that we were talking about a while ago are no-can-do people? Any circumstance that you place before them or that is placed before them or that overtakes them, Immediately they fastened their attention upon the no can do part, the negative part. I'll never forget as long as I live what happened to me when Mr. Carnegie surprised me and gave me a, a chance to organize this philosophy. I tried to, everywhere in the world to give him all the reasons I could think of and had about six, about six reasons why I couldn't do it. I didn't have sufficient education, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the influence. I didn't know what the word philosophy meant. Well, and there was about two others that immediately popped into my mind. And I was trying to get my mouth open to tell Mr. Carnegie that I thanked him for the compliment he'd paid me. But what was going on in my mind was that uh, I was doubting that Mr. Carnegie was such a good judge of human nature as he had been reported to be when he was picking me to do a job like that. Now that's what went on in my mind. But there were silent persons standing looking over my shoulder. And he said, Go ahead and tell him you can do it. Spit it out. And I said, Yes, Mr. Carnegie, I'll accept the commission. And you can depend upon it, sir, that I will complete it. He reached over and grabbed me by the hand. He said, I not only like what you said, but I like the way you said it. That's what I was waiting for. He saw that I. My mind was on fire with belief that I could do it, even though I hadn't the slightest asset to give me a beginning other than my determination that I would get the assets necessary to create this philosophy. And if I had wavered in the slightest, if I had said to Mr. Carnegie, well, yes, uh, Mr. Carnegie, I'll uh, do my best, I'm sure, I never asked him about this, but I am sure that he would have taken the opportunity away from me instantly it would have indicated that I wasn't too determined to do it. Yes, Mr. Carnegie, you can depend upon me, sir, to complete it. And your living witnesses here, although Mr. Carnegie has long since been gone, your living witnesses that Mr. Carnegie didn't pick wrongly. He knew what he was about. He had found something in the human mind, in my mind, that he'd been searching for for years. He found it. I didn't know its value, but I found out the value of it later. And I want you to recognize the value of it. Because you have that same thing in your mind. That same capacity to know what you want and to be determined that you'll get it even though you don't know where to make the first start. And what does make a great man? Give me a good definition. What makes a great man or a great woman? Do you have any idea what greatness is? Greatness Greatness is the ability to recognize the power of your own mind, to embrace it and use it. That's what makes greatness. And in my book of rules, every man and every woman can become truly great by the simple process of recognizing his or her own mind, embracing it and using it. Now, here are instructions for applying the principle of a definite major purpose. And these instructions are to be carried out to the letter. Don't overlook any part of it. First, write out a clear statement of your major purpose, sign it, commit it to memory, and repeat it orally at least once a day in the form of a prayer or an affirmation, if you choose. You can see the advantage of this because it places uh, your faith in your Creator squarely back of you. Now, I've found from experience, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here is the uh, weakest spot in the students' uh, activities. They read this, they say, well, it's simple enough, I understand it, and what's the use of going to the trouble of writing it out? You might just as well not have this lesson if you're going to take that attitude to it. You must write it out. You must... Going through the physical act of translating a thought into into onto paper, and then you must memorize it and then you must start talking to your subconscious mind about it. And give that subconscious mind a pretty good idea of what it is you want. And it won't hurt any if you remember the story I told you in the first half of the lesson tonight about what I did to get my million dollar book title. It won't do a bit of harm if you uh, give your subconscious mind to understand from here on out that you're the boss and that you're going to do something about it. But you can't expect the subconscious mind or anything else to help you if you don't know what it is you want, if you're not definite about it. Ninety-eight out of every hundred people taking cross-section of humanity in general do not know what they want in life and consequently never get it. They take whatever life hands them. Now in in addition to your definite major purpose you can have minor purposes, as many as you want, provided they lead you in the direction of your major purpose. uh, Provided they are related to or lead you in the direction of your major purpose. Your whole life should be devoted to carrying out your major purpose in life. Find out what it is you want and incidentally uh, it's all right to be um, modest like I am <laughs> <laughs> when you go to asking for what you want, but don't be too modest. Uh, reach out and uh, ask for a bounty, ask for the things that you are sure you're entitled to, but in asking, be sure that you don't overlook the subsequent instructions I'm going to give you about what it is you're going to give in return for what you expect. Second, write out a clear, definite outline of the plan or plans by which you intend to achieve the object of your purpose, and state the maximum of time within which you intend to attain it, and describe it in detail precisely what you intend to give in return for the realization of the object of your purpose. Make your plan flexible enough to permit changes any time you are inspired to do so remembering that infinite intelligence may present you with a better plan than yours, and oftentimes will, if you are definite about what you want. Have any of you ever had a hunch that you couldn't describe, you couldn't explain away? You know what a hunch is? It's your subconscious mind trying to get an idea over to you, and oftentimes you are too indifferent to even let the subconscious mind talk to you for a few moments. I've heard people say, well, I had the darndest fool idea today. But that darn fool idea, you know, might have been a million dollar idea if you'd have listened to it and have done something about it. Uh, Have great respect for these hunches that come to you because there's something outside of yourself trying to communicate with you, undoubtedly. I have a great respect for these hunches that come to me and they come to me uh, constantly. And uh, I find them always related to something that my mind's been dwelling upon, something that I want to do, something that I'm uh, engaged in. Write out a clear, definite outline of the plan or plans and state the maximum of time within which you, within which you intend to attain it. Now, that timing is important. Very important. Don't uh, write out your definite major aim that I intend to become the best salesman in the world, or that I intend to become the uh, best employee in my organization, or that I intend to make a lot of money. Uh, that, that's not definite. Whatever it is that you consider to be your major objective in life, write it out clearly and time it. I intend to attain within blank number of years, so and so, and then go ahead and describe so and so, what it is. And then in the next paragraph down below, I intend to give in return for the thing that I request, so and so, and then go ahead and describe it. Now this business of timing, you know, uh, nature... (coughs) has a system of timing everything. If you go out, if you're a farmer, you want to plant some wheat in the field, you go out and you prepare that ground. You sow the wheat at the right season of the year. And uh, then after you sow it, you go back the next day with the harvester and start harvesting. The very next day. Well, isn't anybody going to catch me up on that one? (laughs) What do you wait for? For nature to do her part. Infinite intelligence or God whatever you want, it's all, no matter what you call it, we're talking about the same thing, but there is an intelligence that does its part if you do your part first. Intelligence is not going to direct you to nor attract to you the object of your major purpose unless you know what it is, and unless you properly time it. It'd be quite ridiculous if you started out with only a mediocre talent, and said that you're going to make a million dollars within the next 30 days. It'd be quite ridiculous. In other words, make your major purpose uh, within reason of what you know you are able to uh, to, to deserve. And next, uh, keep your major purpose strictly to yourself, except insofar as you will receive further instructions on this subject in the lesson on the mastermind. Now, why do I why do I suggest that you keep your major purpose to yourself? Well, the reason, of course, that you don't disclose your major purpose to other people is that there are a lot of uh, idle, curious people in this world who like to stand on the sidelines and stick their toes out when you go by, especially if you've got a high head and look like you're going to accomplish more in life than they are. And for no good reason at all, as you go along, they stick their toes out just to see you fall. They'll throw monkey wrenches in your machinery. They don't have monkey wrenches. They'll put sand in your gearbox. But they will uh, slow you down. Why? Because of the envy of mankind. Now, the only way to speak about your definite major purpose is in action after the fact and not before the fact, after you've achieved it. Let it speak for itself. Let it speak for itself. The only way anybody can afford to boast or brag about himself is not by words, but by deeds. And then if if the deeds are engaged in, you don't need any words. They speak for themselves. Now, about making your plan flexible, don't uh, don't become determined that the plan you worked out is perfect just because you worked it out. You'll make a mistake if you do that. Leave your plan flexible. Give it a good trial, and if it's not working properly, change it. Next, call your major purpose into your consciousness as often as may be practical. Eat with it. Sleep with it. And take it with you wherever you go, keeping in mind the fact that your subconscious mind can thus be influenced to work for its attainment while you sleep. Your conscious mind is a very jealous mind. It stands guard and doesn't want anything to get by except the things that you are afraid of and the things that you're very enthusiastic about. And especially the things that you are afraid of. It does let those get by sometimes too. But generally speaking, if you want to plant an idea in your subconscious mind, you have to do it with a tremendous amount of faith, tremendous amount of enthusiasm. You've got to rush the conscious mind so that it steps aside and lets you go through to the subconscious because of your enthusiasm and your faith. And then repetition is a marvelous thing too. The conscious mind finally gets tired of hearing you say a thing over and over and over. He says, all right, if you're bound to repeat that, I can't stand here and watch you forever go on in there and take it into sub and see what he'll do with it. That's the way it works. A, this conscious mind is a very contrary thing, and you know it, it learns all of the things that won't work. Did you know that? It has a tremendous stock of things that won't work, and things that are not right. And it has a tremendous stock of old pieces of string, horseshoes, nails, like some misers gather up. A whole stock of those things lying around, a useless trash that it's gathered, impedimentia that you don't need. And that's the kind of stuff it's feeding to your subconscious mind. Every night, just before you go to bed, you should give your subconscious mind some sort of an order for the night, what it is you want done. I should say the healing of your body. Certainly the body needs repairing every day. When you lay the carcass down for sleep, by turn it over to the infinite intelligence and request your subconscious mind to go to work and heal every, every cell in your body, every organ. And to give you tomorrow morning a perfectly conditioned body in which the mind may function uh, don't go to bed uh, without giving orders to your subconscious mind tell it what you want get in the habit of telling it what you want if you keep on long enough it'll believe you and deliver what you, what you ask for and therefore you better be careful about what you ask for because if you keep on asking for it you're going to get it I wonder if you wouldn't be surprised if you knew uh, right now what you've been asking for back down through the years you ever thought of that? You've been asking for it, sure you have. Everything that you have that you don't want, you've been asking for it. Maybe by neglect. Maybe by neglect, maybe you didn't tell the subconscious mind what you really wanted and it stocked up on a lot of stuff you didn't want. It works that way. Now here are some important factors in connection with your definite major purpose. First of all, it should represent your greatest purpose in life The one single purpose which above all others you desire to achieve and the fruits of which you are willing to leave behind you as a monument to yourself. Now that's what your definite major purpose should be. I'm not talking about your minor purposes now. I'm talking about your major, overall purpose, your lifelong purpose. And believe me, friends, if you don't have an overall, lifelong purpose, you're you're just wasting the better portion of your life the wire and tire of living is not worth the price you pay for it unless you really are aiming for something unless you're going somewhere in life unless you're doing something with this opportunity here on this plane I imagine you were sent over here to do something I imagine you were sent over here with a mind capable of hewing out, <clears throat> attaining your own destiny and if you don't attain that, if you don't use that mind I imagine that uh, your life to a large extent will have been wasted from the viewpoint of the one who sent you over Take possession of your mind. Aim high. Don't believe because uh, uh, in the past you may not have achieved much you can't achieve in the future. Don't measure your future by your past. If you do, you're sunk. A new day is coming. You're going to be born again. You're setting up a new pattern. You're in a new world. You're a new person. Well, if not, why not? I intend that every one of you shall be born again mentally physically and maybe spiritually a new aim a new purpose a new realization of your own individual power and a new realization of your own dignity as a unit of mankind if you ask me what I believe to be the greatest sin of mankind I bet you'd be surprised at what my answer would be What would yours be? What do you think the greatest sin of mankind is? The greatest sin of mankind is neglect to use his greatest asset. That's the greatest sin of mankind. It's bound to be that. Because if you use that greatest asset, you'll have everything you want and you'll have it in abundance. You notice I didn't say you'll have everything within reason. I said you'd have everything you want and have it in abundance. I didn't put any qualifying words in there. You're the only one that can put qualifying words in there as to what you want. You're the only one that can set up limitations for yourself. Nobody else can do it for you unless you let them. Your major purpose, or some portion of it, should remain a few jumps ahead of you at all times as something to which you may look forward with hope and anticipation. Now, if you ever catch up with your major purpose and attain it, then what? What are you going to do there? Get another one. one. Of course you... And you will have learned, by having attained your first one, that uh, you can attain a major purpose. And the chances are, when you select your per- next one, you will make it a bigger objective than you did your first one. If your objective is to acquire material riches, why don't aim for too high for the first year? Get a, Work out a 12-month plan within reason. And watch how easily you can attain it. And then next year, double it. Then next year, double that one's major purpose should keep a few jumps ahead of him what's the purpose of that why not uh, lay out a definite purpose that you can catch up with uh, well just tomorrow say well now obviously if you do that your definite major purpose is not going to be very extensive is it and you're not going to have the fun of pursuit <laughs> you know the fun of pursuit is a great thing if you've found success If you found your objective, then there's no fun in it, but you have to turn around and start after something else. Life is less interesting when one has no definite purpose to be attained other than that of merely living. The hope of future achievement in connection with a major purpose is among the greatest of man's pleasures. Sorry is the man indeed who's caught up with himself and no longer has anything to do. I've found a lot of them. They're all miserable. No, you've got to keep active, keep doing something, keep working, keep an objective ahead of you. One's major purpose may, and it generally does, consist of that which can be attained only by a series of day-to-day and month-to-month and year-to-year steps, because it is something which should uh, be so designed as to consume an entire lifetime of endeavor. It should harmonize with one's occupation, business or profession. For each day's work should enable one to come one day nearer to the attainment of his major purpose in life. I, I feel sorry, indeed I feel sorry for the individual who is just working day in and day out in order to have something to eat and some clothes to wear and a place to sleep. I, I feel sorry for that kind of a person that has no no aim beyond just enough to exist on. I can't imagine anybody in this class satisfying himself sitting down with an existence. I think you want to live, I think you want abundance. I think you want everything that's necessary for you to do the thing you want to do in life, including money. One's major purpose may, and it generally does consist of that which can be attained only by a series of day-to-day or month-to-month steps. Now, remember that when you start in pursuit of your definite major purpose. One's major purpose may consist of many different combinations of lesser aims, such as the nature of one's occupation which should be something of his own choice when you come to write out your definite major purpose you write it out like planks in a platform number one so and so number two so and so and somewhere along there right near the head be sure that you include in your definite major purpose perfect harmony between yourself and your mate you think that's important do you know of anything more important than that do you know of anything, any human relationship more important than that of a man and his wife? No, of course you don't. I'll answer that one for you. <laughs> Nobody does. And have you ever heard of uh, a relationship, man and wife, where there was not harmony? Have you ever seen a thing like that? <laughs> you have, huh? Yeah, so I'll answer that for you too. I know you have. not pleasant, is it? not pleasant to even be around people who are not in step with one another. Well, you can be har- harmonious. And there is where you ought to start applying your mastermind relationship first. Your wife or your husband should be your first mastermind ally. Maybe you'll have to go back and court him or her over again. But all right, that's nice too. I don't know of anything I ever did in my life that I enjoyed as much as courting. It's a wonderful experience. (laughs) Go back and court the gal over again. Or the man. It's a wonderful experience or if you're not on the right kind of terms with your business associate, or your fellow uh, worker, or your, the people you uh, work with every day, go back and rededicate yourself to the business of striking out on a new basis. You know, you'll be surprised at what a little confession on your part will do. Wonderful thing, The confession is really a marvelous thing. Most people claim they have too much pride to confess their weaknesses. I'll tell you, it's a good thing to get, that out of, uh, get so many weaknesses out of your system by confession. Acknowledge that maybe you're not perfect, or well-nigh perfect, but not entirely perfect. (laughs) Maybe the other fellow say, well, come to think about it, neither am I. And then you're off to the races. Rededicate yourself to a better relationship with the people that you come into contact every day, whoever they may be. What a wonderful thing it is. You can do that. You can handle it. You can handle it. I know you can. You know, most of these inharmonies in human relations is due to the neglect of people. You just neglect to build up your human relations. You could do it if you wanted to do it. And the budgeting of uh, income and expenses so as to provide for the accumulation of a definite amount for old age and security, the security of loved ones and so forth. And the budgeting of time so as to provide whatever income that is necessary to support one's plan for the attainment of a definite major purpose. That should be a part of your definite major purpose. Write out your your platform of life, and include down under these minor purposes the things that are related to your major purpose, the things that you're going to have to get in the step-by-step movement up toward your major purpose. And a definite plan for developing harmony in all of your relations, and especially these in the home where one works, where one plays or relaxes, The human relationship plank is the most important one in connection with one's major aim, since the aim is attainable very largely through the cooperation of others. Has you ever thought of that? That the things that you do in life that are worthwhile have to be done through harmonious cooperation with other people. And how are you going to get that harmonious cooperation if you don't cultivate people? If you don't understand them, if you don't make allowances for their weaknesses? Did you ever have a friend that appreciated you were trying to reform him or change his mind about something? Uh, do you like to have a friend come around and try to reform you? No, no, you don't. Nobody does. But there are certain things you can do for a friend by example. Uh, that's a mighty effective way of doing it. But start in to tell a man where he's wrong. And chances are that he'll have business around the corner. The next time he sees you coming, he'll get on the other side of the street. In your human relations, you can develop a marvelous relationship but you can't do it by criticizing people, harping upon their faults, because we all have faults. A better thing to do is to talk about a person's virtues and his good qualities. And I have never seen a person yet, so lowly that he didn't have some good qualities. And if you'll concentrate upon those good qualities, that person on whom you're concentrating will go out of his way, and lean over backwards to make sure that you're not disappointed. One should not hesitate to choose a major aim which may be, for the time being, out of his reach. For one may always prepare himself to attain pretty much any desired purpose in life. Certainly when I chose as my definite major purpose the organizing and taking to the world of the first practical philosophy of individual achievement, it was a way beyond my reach. And what do you think it was that kept me down to 20 years of unproductive effort of research? What do you think it was that kept me striving and struggling in face of the fact that the majority of people I knew were criticizing me? What do you think it was? I had to have an abundance of faith and I had to keep that faith alive by moving, moving always as if I knew in advance that I was going to complete the task that Mr. Carnegie assigned to me. There were times when the It looked as if what my friends and relatives were saying about me was absolutely true. And in a sense, it was that I was wasting my time. From their viewpoint and their measuring stick and their standards, I was wasting 20 years of my time. But from the viewpoint of the millions of people who have benefited and will benefit by my work during those 20 years, I was not wasting my time. You can't fail unless you think you can. If you think you can fail, then you can. If you stay around me long enough, I'll get you so you're not going to think you can fail. You know you're not going to fail. Our greatest demonstration of the universal application of the principle of definiteness of purpose may be seen by observing how nature applies it as follows. And there is a great string of applications to the way nature moves with definiteness of purpose. And ladies and gentlemen, if there is anything in this universe that's definite, it's the laws of nature. They don't deviate. They don't temporize. They don't subside. You can't go around them. You can't avoid them. And uh, however you can, learn their nature and adjust yourself to them and benefit by them. Nobody ever heard of the law of gravitation being suspended, not even for one fraction of a second. It never has been done and never will be. Because nature's whole setup throughout the whole universe, system of universes perhaps, is so definite that everything moves with precision, like clockwork. And If you want an example of the necessity of an individual's moving with definiteness, you only have to have a smattering of understanding of the sciences to see the way that nature does things. And then you'll have that example. The orderliness of the universe and the interrelation of all of the natural laws, the fixation of all of the stars and planets in immovable relationship to one another. Isn't it a marvelous thing to know that the astronomers can sit down and with a pencil and a few pieces of paper predetermine hundreds of years in advance the exact relationship of given planets and stars, right where they'll be with relationship to one another, in advance. And you know they couldn't do that if there was not a purpose, a plan under which we're working. We want to find out what that purpose is as it relates to us as individuals. That's why you're in this course. That's why I'm teaching you. I'm giving you that little bit that I have picked up from life and from the experiences of men and from my own experience, so that you will learn how to adjust yourself to the laws of nature in order that you may use those laws instead of allowing yourself to be abused by your neglect in using them. To me, one of the most horrible things to contemplate is the possible cessation of natural laws. Imagine all of the chaos, all of the stars and planets running together, why they make the H-bomb look like a firecracker if nature allowed her laws to be suspended but she doesn't do that she has very definite laws to go by and you'll find that if you check these 17 principles they check perfectly with all of the laws of nature you get over to that uh, principle of going the extra mile you'll find that nature is is profound in her application of the principle of going the extra mile when she uh, produces blooms on the trees, she doesn't produce just enough to fill the trees, she produces enough to take care of all of the damages, of the, <clears throat> the winds and the storms. When she produces fish in the sea, she doesn't just produce enough to perpetuate the fish, she produces enough to feed the bullfrogs and the snakes and the alligators and all the other things that still have enough left to carry out her purpose. She has an abundance of things, overabundance, and also She forces man to go the extra mile or else he'll perish. He would perish in one season if he didn't go the extra mile. If nature didn't compensate a man when he goes out and puts a grain of wheat in the ground by giving him back 500 grains to compensate him for his intelligence, why, we'd starve to death in one season. If you do your part, nature does her part and she does it in abundance. In abundance, in superabundance. And one of the strange things about nature is that if you keep your mind focused on the positive side of life, it becomes greater than the negative side. Always does that. If you keep your mind on the positive side, it becomes greater than all of the negatives that may try to penetrate your mind and influence your life. Look around and you'll find examples, living examples all around you, of people that you want to emulate and people you do not want to emulate. People that are failing and you'll be able to tell why they're failing. I dare say that from this time on, you will be able to use this philosophy as a measuring stick and wherever you find a success or a failure, you will be able to lay your finger right on the cause of it, right on it, and that includes you too.
0: And there you go. Napoleon Hill, a very rare talk, portion of a far bigger lecture, but it drives home a lot of the points that we've been talking about, lays the foundation of an understanding that's going to help you grow. It's going to help you do better as a person that wants to manifest more for their life, for their family's life, and for the human race. You can't help anyone else unless you're taken care of. When you're taken care of, you can go out and serve full throttle, and then the good, the work that you're doing is just that much more. And then when you have the resources to do these things, those resources, that money, it magnifies the mind. So you have this idea. Sure, you could do it in a very localized level, in a very personal sense, and and have so much reach. But if you have more resources at your disposal, and the human race currently uses money as the way to trade value. And so if you have those resources, you can expand that idea that much more and just make it that much more powerful, uh, exponentially. It's just like I talked with Boom Shika; It's a neutral energy. So really I'm trying to help conscious people like you and me, Because I have to kind of like always unprogram some of the stuff that I learned early on in life because people equated money with greed so much in the world of conscious thinking. And people dislike greed, of course. So money, that energy, well, it's like the baby getting thrown out with the bathwater it's just a neutral energy it's it's what we decided to use at this point in human history and think of all the good that we can do if we can accumulate these resources this infinite abundance in the form of currency and then you use that to finance the incredible ideas that are brewing in their Mind and your consciousness, those things that you want to do to help the human race. Even when the Dalai Lama came to Portland, they raised a specific amount of money based on specific donations. Some were set up to have semi-private sessions with him. All of that money got used to fund an orphanage. So it's not the money that's the issue. It's the intention. So you have these beautiful ideas. You want to have a life that you're completely in control of. You want to create your own reality. It takes figuring out how to utilize these resources, how to work with that energy. And that's why I brought on shika why we listen to that Earl Nightingale recording, why we listen to Napoleon Hill. It's just to get that frequency out there more because with the understanding of the fact that everything's infinite abundance, you're not taking away from anyone else by attracting those resources into your life. Bryn, what did you think about that?
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more, um, and I think that's a really important point—that it isn't money that's the issue; it's greed, and they get lumped together. And you know, back to what Earl Nightingale talked about um, about how you know money was the byproduct of success and your service, and in direct relation to your service, and that that's the thing to keep in mind. And then um, Napoleon Hill talking about your definite purpose and how when you have that in mind, like however gigantic, like your wildest dreams that you can manifest that. And the only way to fail in that is to believe that you can fail in it. Otherwise, there's a sure course. And that course can be so full of service. And like you said, um, the more resources you have to provide that service, it you know, just exponentially grows. So um, it's. I think it's important, for sure, for us to have the understanding of these natural laws, and uh, how to work with them.
0: For sure, and I think it's really interesting that both of these people are deceased. They have left the third dimension. A lot of the lecture episodes that we've had have been people that are no longer with us, which I think is so amazing, because it makes it really special. It, Somehow they're breaking through time and space to be with us virtually with these recordings to still teach us, even though they're in some cases been on the other side for decades.
1: I think that, um, what they have to say is, and they've really tapped into the infinite intelligence that they speak of. And that is outside of time and space and that really, you know, they were able to channel that and bring it through and, um, it is timeless, so I'm glad that we're able to to be able to he- hear them still.
0: One of my favorite things that Napoleon Hill has put out there into the universe is this concept of conceive, believe, achieve. If you can conceive it, if you can believe it, then you can achieve it. I think that's so cool. And, you know, he talked about how definiteness of purpose the starting point of achievement. So once you get that single goal, singular focus in your mind, then you're manifesting and the universe picks up that frequency, starts attracting things on that frequency, and you're moving forward towards your goal. He talked about making it habitual. He talked about so much, so much. (laughs) We could go on for hours and hours. It's been a long podcast, but I wanted to introduce you to these two guys because We have interviews coming up that are amazing. They're absolutely incredible. And we do these lecture episodes. Maybe we won't always do these lecture episodes. It's cool to do them now early on, early in the life of Midnight on Earth. So as the guests really start to accumulate, I'm getting more and more responses from guests, people contacting me the guest list is growing. So there could be a point where I'm doing multiple guests a week. We won't have time to do lecture episodes anymore. So that's why these are really special. You can go back in our history and listen to these and, and feel, feel attached to them and know it. It it, it was seminal, seminal moment, midnight on earth.
1: Amazing. Um, I just wanted to just a a couple of the last things that are, I feel are super, um, importance that Napoleon Hill was saying was um, to live your life as a prayer live every minute as a constant prayer and that has such a different feeling to it and a different energy to it than just prayer in a time of need or, or something like that but to like all that you're doing that def- even the making the creation of that definite purpose every single thing you're doing is
0: yeah the valve is just open And you're just connecting with that manifestation through divinity in every moment, every moment you're petitioning, every moment you're asking, every moment you're acknowledging, which really is what prayer is about, is the acknowledgement of the divine. Yes. And then you open that valve and then you have that conversation, which is so beautiful. And every moment can be that conversation if you get on that frequency. Mm Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And then I, I also just liked the, the little practical thing about giving your subconscious mind a job every night. <laughs> that's great. Just I love the way he talks about it. He's like, listen here, sub. You know, that's uh, funny that this sort of separation of you're in charge of your mind and you're in control of what you think about, what you focus on. And uh, even to the point of like when you go to bed at night, give your Give your subconscious mind a job. Tell it to heal your body. Tell it to restore your cells. Tell it to keep working on that goal. Keep working on that million dollar name or whatever.
0: Or you could give your body some of your amazing tinctures <laughs> from Vinyl Force Herbs, vitalforceherbs.com as well. You know, I really appreciate you being here. I really love these lecture episodes. Yeah, and me I love too. You. Thanks for having me. Being here with us, it's so amazing. I'm really glad that we do these. I wanted people to learn these things. And and you can get salves and everything from VinylForceHerbs.com. I really just want to shout out your company a little bit just so you, you know, get some love out there in the world. I mean, it is amazing, all organic products. <laughs> I just want to shout out Thanks. that. Definitely
1: part of my divine purpose. Yeah.
0: Sure. Is there anything you want to leave people with, you know, before you come back on, we'll probably do some more lecture episodes before the calendar really starts to book up for 2021.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I'd love to come back. But Um, uh, Is
0: there anything you want to leave people with about this concept? Like harmonizing with abundance, understanding abundance, attracting more success. Yeah. Just
1: go for it. Don't be afraid of it. Um, Embrace it. Follow your heart. Embrace it. Have faith. Have curiosity, um, find your inspiration, find your courage, and go for it.
0: All right. On that note, see you next week, everybody. Midnight on Earth. Thank you, Brynn.
1: Thank you. All
0: right. See you guys.